Philippians chapter 1. Now, the theme of the book of Philippians is joy. And what's interesting about that is the, the book of Philippians, like the book of Philemon that we're studying on Sunday mornings, is one of the prison epistles that Paul wrote. So he wrote this from a prison cell in Rome. So he's in prison when he's writing this book to the church in Philippi. And what's really, really interesting about that is this book is just filled with a a sense of joy. In fact, the words joy and rejoice are mentioned 16 times in these four chapters. If this was an audio, if this, if we had a, 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 the technology back then where Paul was able to, you know how people do today when they write a book that they, you know, they read it. If, if this was an audio version that we could hear Paul's voice, there would be, the tone would be a sense of excitement, a sense of, of thankfulness, a sense of joy. And that's really, really interesting because Paul's in a really difficult place. And so if you want to have joy or your life marked by joy, if you master the principles found here in the book of Philippians, joy can be yours. And a joyful believer is a beautiful believer. But you know, I think that we need to make sure that we understand that there is a joy, there's a difference between joy and happiness. It's been said that happiness is vacillating, whereas joy is fixed. You can be going through horrible, unhappy circumstance and yet have joy. I think about the night a couple years ago now that my father passed away. And my dad had been ill and, and he was getting to that place where, you know, he was in bed and hospice was, had been called and he, you know, he was just declining. And so we're all there with him and we're uh, around him and, and, and we're just noticing and we're thinking, okay, it could be tonight. Now we weren't happy. We weren't like, you know, celebrating, but, but there was a sense of joy in knowing that we knew where my dad was going. We knew that he was ready. We knew that he was actually looking forward to, in fact, he told the doctor when he was in the hospital, he said, I'm not afraid to die. I'm actually looking forward to it. And that was my dad, you know? And so there was a sense of joy in the, in knowing that, okay, he's ready and he's about ready to step in to glory. Happiness is based on happenings. You know, the circumstances are going well and we're happy, but when it doesn't, we're not happy. Now, here's what's interesting. Two-thirds of Americans claim today to be unhappy. Two-thirds of Americans claim to be discontented with life because things that are happening are not making them happy. You know, all the stuff going on in the last 20 months has left them in a place where they're just like, man, life stinks. And when are things going to get better? When are things going to turn back to normal? And so two-thirds of Americans are living in that reality. That's happiness. But joy is a deep-seated, enduring affection that endures. Joy is the result of something going on inside of you because God's Spirit resides there. 
And in this book, Paul gives us some incredible insights in how to be people of joy. Let's begin here reading in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants, a bondservant is a willing servant of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and the deacons, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause there for a moment. The church in Philippi, you can read about it on your own in Acts chapter 16, had a very interesting beginning. Paul had been praying about where the Lord was going to send him next. Lord, where do you want me to go? And he has a vision from a man who's in Macedonia saying, come over here. So Paul heads into that region and his first stop is Philippi. But the first person that he encounters when he gets to Philippi isn't a man, but it's a woman by a river. And a woman's name is Lydia. She's a businesswoman. She's a rich businesswoman. She's a seller of purple from Thyatira. And she has a little prayer group going on. And so Paul starts meeting with them and Lydia and her friends. And he's talking to him about Jesus when this demon-possessed girl shows up. And she starts spouting off that Paul and Silas are these servants of God. And at first, Paul just kind of ignores her, just doesn't pay any attention to her. But after a few days, it just starts annoying him. So he tells her to stop, and he ends up casting the demon out of her, and she gets saved. But this causes some problems, because her masters... They made a lot of money off of this demon-possessed girl who would, you know, do fortune-telling and and that type of thing. So they end up protesting against Paul and Silas. They end up, Paul and Silas end up getting beaten and thrown into prison. But as they're in prison, Paul and Silas, they're, they're filled with joy. At midnight in the prison, they're singing praise songs. I probably wouldn't have been doing that, but they're, they're praising God. You know, they're, they're just rejoicing. And all of a sudden, all the prison doors open up. All the cells just open. God does a miracle. The jailer wakes up, sees all the prison doors are are open. He thinks all of the prisoners have escaped. And if that happens and you're the guy in charge of the the jail, the Romans are going to kill you. So he decides to just do it himself. Takes his sword. He's about ready to run himself through when Paul yells out and says, don't do it. We're all here. And then Paul starts talking to the jailer about Jesus, and he gets saved and takes Paul and Silas to his house, and his whole family gets saved. And so this is the beginning of the church in Philippi. It started with a really unique group of people. You have Lydia, this rich businesswoman, this demon-possessed girl, and this jailer who was probably a Roman. Talk about an odd group, right? Talk about odd demographics. I mean, imagine their gatherings. Lydia, she shows up with a bunch of her, you know, business friends. And and then you have the demon-possessed girl showing up with her witch friends. And and then you have, you know, the the jailer showing up with, you know, the sheriff's department. And, And so you've got, you know, you've got these rich people, these hell's angels, and and the police, you know, all all together there. Kind of sounds like a Calvary Chapel right? (laughs) But you know, despite this started so oddly, Paul was stoked. In fact, notice what he says in verse 3. 
I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you, all because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you with the, with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, as we break down verses 3 through 11 tonight, we're going to see four ingredients for joy that we can learn here from the Apostle Paul. Number one, the first thing is that Paul rejoiced in the work that God was doing in the church in Philippi. Paul found joy in focusing on the positive when it came to that church rather than the negative. Look at verse 3 again. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Every remembrance. Always making, always in every prayer, making requests with you, all with joy. Let me ask you this question. What do you remember about people? The good experiences or the bad experiences? You know, I think it's true that the longer you know someone, it's kind of easier to focus on their faults than it is to focus on their strengths. It's easy to focus on the bad times than it is the happy times. And remember, Paul didn't have an easy time in Philippi. As we noted there in Acts 15, he's 16, he's arrested, he's whipped, he's humiliated, he's thrown in prison, he's finally asked to leave town. Paul, just get out of here. And yet he says, I thank my God for every remembrance of you guys. What? What are you talking about? Well, Paul could have dwelt on the negative, but instead he remembered, he chose to, to view it in a different way. Rather than remember the painful memories, he chose to focus on the things that he could be grateful for. I can relate to this. Before I was the pastor here, I had planted a church in Salem, Oregon. And my first encounter with the group that was asking us to come and meet with them and start this church, we kind of had an interest meeting, and there was a group of people there that night, and I taught a little Bible study, and afterwards I you know, asked uh, if anybody had any questions. And the first person that raised their hand was this, this woman who literally looked like she just walked out of Woodstock, Okay. This was 1991, all right? But she's looking like she's living in 1962 and uh, just the whole flower child type of thing. And she asked me, what are your thoughts on dancing in the spirit and speaking in tongues? That's the first thing she wants to know about, you know. Are we going to do this at this church, you know? So I give an explanation about, you know, what the Bible says about all of that. And then the next question is this guy that looks like a Marine, and he says, how are you going to handle church discipline? And I knew exactly what he was thinking. How are you going to handle her when she gets out of line? You know? <laughs> so we talked about that. And, and uh, 
And after we were done, we're having, you know, just some snacks and stuff. And he walks up to me and he says, uh, I just want you to know I'm, I'm a sheriff in town here. I'm in law enforcement. And in law, law enforcement, we learn how to, um, you know, just kind of size up people. You know, he says, so I've been sizing you up all night long. And he says, I just want you to know I've got you all figured out and I will not be back. This is my first impression, you know, with this group of people. And, uh, and then the guy who was the primary um, guy who asked us to come up, at, a couple weeks later, there's like six families, okay? And he's, he calls me and says, hey, I want to get all six families together, and I want them to pledge to match your salary that you're making at Vista, um, which was, I mean, it was like $3,000, okay? And, and uh, so I, you know, I want them to, I want to, I want to, I want them to commit to match that. And I, his name was Wilbur. I said, Wilbur, I don't want you to do that. Don't, no, please don't do that. He hung up on me, never spoke to me again, never came to the church. <laughs> his wife and daughter did, but he never, I mean, it was just crazy start, all right? But I never, ever think about that when I think about that church, it's not something that when somebody goes, hey, I was insane. I don't, I don't right away go to crazy woman and, you know, sheriff guy and Wilbur. You know, that's not what comes to my mind at all. You know, I think about the precious people who are there and, and the things that God did. And, and that's what Paul's doing here. You know, he's focusing on, and, and, and so it really, it starts, if you want to have healthy relationships and you want a life that's marked by joy, it starts with having an attitude of gratitude that you will be far happier and enjoy your relationships a lot more if you'll develop a habit of being grateful for the people in your life. And if you want to enjoy others, you've got to focus on their strengths and not their weaknesses. Focus on the fruit. Focus on what Jesus is doing in their life. Paul said this about the Corinthians. He says, you know, I sought to know no man after the flesh. And what he meant by that is when I look at people, I'm not going to look at them and see their faults. I'm not going to focus on the flesh, but I'm going to see them in Christ. And that's a great way to live our lives. Now, I know with some people that's a little harder to do. You know, it takes a little bit more effort. We have to really work at it. But I think if you try hard enough, you can see the Lord in almost any believer. And so this is something that we see, that Paul makes his focus, and his heart is filled with genuine love for these people. Look at verse 7 again. He says, just as it's right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, that you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly, here's the key phrase, I long with you, I long for you, with the affection of Jesus Christ. So here's the lesson. What Paul chooses to focus on about the believers in Philippi is directly connected to the joy and affection that he feels about them in his heart. So first of all, Paul was thankful for what God had done, the work that God had done in the saints there. Number two, he was thankful for their partnership in the gospel. Look at verse 5. He says, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The word fellowship means partnership. And so when Paul was thinking about the church in Philippi, he was thankful because they just weren't spectators. They were guys and gals who wanted to be involved. They were participants in the gospel. 
That means they were probably active in sharing their faith. They were active in serving. They were active in seeking to be a part of the work of Christ. And Paul was stoked about that. You know, sometimes the church uh, resembles a football stadium during a football game. Maybe you've heard this analogy. You watch a football game, you know, there's 50,000 people in the stands watching 24 guys on the field play. And sometimes that's the way it is in the church, that there's, you know, a small group of people that everybody else is watching doing the work. But in a healthy church, and this was a healthy church, they were involved. Paul says, I'm thankful, I'm full of joy when I think about you guys because you were partners with me in the ministry of the gospel. You know, Paul talks about in the book of Corinthians as well as in the book of Romans how in the body of Christ, the body, he calls it a body. It's not an organization, it's a living organism. And just like our physical bodies have different parts that all have different functions, Paul says that's what the church is to, be, to look like. Different parts, all serving and being involved and functioning as the Lord has given to each in the church. So his heart is filled with joy because of their partnership in the gospel. That's number two. Number three, another thing that filled Paul's heart with joy was his confidence in the faithfulness of God to work in the lives of these people. Look at verse six. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Because I'm confident in God's faithfulness to complete the work that he has begun in you. But here's what, what we need to note here. The work that God is doing in each one of our lives is a gradual work. You know, nobody matures in Christ overnight. You don't go, just like physically, we don't go from babies to adults, you know, overnight. The same thing is true spiritually. And Paul says that he who has begun a good work, and, and the, the idea with that word begun is it implies that it's an ongoing work. He says, he who has begun a good work will be faithful to complete it. And I, and I, and you know, it's interesting. We don't go from being sinners to being like Jesus overnight. It doesn't happen like that, right? It's a process. We mentioned this on Sunday. Justification is the miracle of a moment. Sanctification is the process of a lifetime. And I say that because some of you can really get down on yourselves because you're not growing. Or others can get down on you because you feel like you're not growing as fast as they think that you should grow. But God's at work. And it's almost like when you're watching a painter paint a canvas. You know, you see a painter and he's painting. Sometimes, you know, if you're down in maybe Seaport Village, you'll see those painters. And you're like, you know, you're sitting there watching, you're like, I have no idea what he's painting, you know. And that's sometimes what it looks like. I have no idea what God's doing right now, but he's painting something. He's working. And after some time, you know, you walk away from that painter and then you come back 20 minutes later and you're like, oh, now I see what he's doing. And that's how it is in the Christian life. Oftentimes in the Christian life, our lives can resemble the backside of a tapestry. You ever seen the backside of a tapestry with all the different, you know, weavings going on? It just looks like a bunch of jumbled colors. And then you flip it over and you see a beautiful design. And that's what God's doing in each one 
of our lives is that he's working, but I want you to notice where he's working. He says that God is doing a work where? In us, in you. He's doing a work in you, and God's work is always an inside job. It's always an inside job before it's an outside job. It always starts in the heart. Religion, though, focuses on the outside. Clean up your act, change your ways. But God's work is an inside job that then affects us on the outside. Anybody have an idea what a Steinway piano cost? It cost about $120,000. Yeah, you got to like sell your house to buy one of those things, right? But the Steinway piano is, is remarkable. And what's really amazing about it is that inside of it are 12,500 different components that have been assembled by 200 different craftsmen who meticulously put it together. And then after it's done, the Steinway piano is taken into a special room that's called the Pounder Room. Yes, the Pounder Room. Doesn't sound very good, does it? But what happens in the pounder room, every single key gets pounded 10,000 times. And with all that work and all that pounding, there's a good work that's going on inside of that piano. And then eventually, a master musician will sit down and begin to play the piano, and it brings forth this beautiful sound. Well, in a similar way, that's what God is doing in you and me. He wants to make music through our lives. But you know what he does? He allows us to go through the pounder room. That's what sometimes our jobs are and our, the trials that we're in, the difficulties we find ourselves in, is that God is allowing us to be pounded on, but it's not to, to you know, crush us or to hurt us, but it's to make us more like Jesus. It's the good work that he's doing inside of us. So Paul was filled with joy at the reality that God was faithful to complete this good work that he was doing inside of them. Number four. Paul's heart was filled with joy at the potential he sees for what God can do in them. Look at verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is praying that their love would abound. And love is really the key to the Christian life. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples. How? By your love for one another. And it's interesting, one of the church historians named Tertullian made mention in his writings that when the church really started growing rapidly in the Roman Empire, the government was beginning to get suspicious and a little fearful of this Christian movement. So they sent spies into the congregations, and they, these spies came back and they would report that these Christians are a really strange people. I like that. They're different, in other words. They're not like the rest of us. And they said they speak, one by, they speak of one by the name of Jesus who is absent but whom they seem to be expecting 
at any time. And that was a key to the early church, is they believed that Jesus could come back at any moment. They believed and they lived with a fervency in the soon return of Christ. And then it says that they said this, and, and, and my how they love him, and my how they love one another. What an interesting description, right? These spies come back and go, these guys are different. They, they love this Jesus who's not even there, and they really, really love one another. Well, Paul wants to see the love of the church in Philippi. He wants to see it abound in three areas. Number one, in knowledge and discernment. Knowledge speaks of understanding. It's understanding a situation. Discernment is knowing what to say and when to say it and how to say it. We need both. It's knowing how to respond. You know, sometimes a person needs a rebuke, a loving rebuke, and sometimes they just need a hug. Discernment is knowing what is needed. The second thing, he wants their love to be pure. He says that you may approve the things that are excellent and that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. The word sincere comes from a Latin word. It's two words, actually, sincera. It means without wax. You see, those who sold vases and porcelain goods in those days, sometimes what they would do is if they got a crack in one of the vases, they would put wax in it so you didn't see it. But what people would do is they would come and they'd lift up the vase and they'd hold it up in the sun. And if there was a crack you'd see it. You know, the wax would shine through. So they started putting these signs on tables that said, Sincera, without wax. And Paul's saying this. This is what he sees in the potential that their love would grow in purity, that it wouldn't be phony, that it wouldn't, that it wouldn't have impure motives. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said, let love be without hypocrisy. We're not pretending to love, but we're really, really loving one another. So he prays that their love would have understanding and discernment. He prays that their love would have sincerity. And number three, he prays, or he's, he's, he sees the potential for their love to be purposeful. Verse 11, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The goal or purpose, Paul's saying, is this, that our lives would glorify God. What does that mean? That our lives would promote his fame and declare who he is. You know, Jesus said, let your light so shine before men in such a way that they would see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so when we love rightly, not only are people going to like us, but God is going to be glorified. So wrapping this up, when Paul thought of the church in Philippi, his heart was filled with joy because, number one, he focused on God on what God was already doing. He was focused on the positive and not the negative. He, secondly, his heart was filled with joy because of their partnership with him in the gospel. Number three, he was filled with joy because he knew God was faithful to complete the work that he had begun. That Paul could look at and he could go, you know, there's still, there's still things here that they need to grow in, but I'm rejoicing because God, I know you've got this. I know that you've got them. And then number four, he rejoiced because he saw the potential for this continual growth to take place. 
And our hearts will be filled with joy as well as we learn to focus on the same things about one another in our families, in the church. And we can have joy even in tough situations when we have the right perspective. And we're going to pick up on this idea next week when we see further here in chapter 1 that a big reason for Paul's joy was because Paul saw the big picture. But we're going to wrap up tonight. I'm going to pray. We're going to get into our groups and we're going to discuss uh, this passage. Lord, we love you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who you've begun the work in us. You're the author of our faith, the Bible says, and you're also the finisher. So, Lord, we know that this work that you've begun, you are going to complete it. And we rejoice in that. We take comfort in that. And, God, I pray right now that you would just bless our discussion time in these groups. In Jesus' name, amen.